Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Comics. I'm Todd A., and I'm not joined by Taylor Trask today. I have a special guest in the home studio. He is uh, a comic book writer, comic book editor, comic book publisher, uh, a filmmaker, a script writer, and a shorts enthusiast, PJ Perez. Hello, PJ. Good morning. <laughs> this is where you. This is where if I had a soundboard, I would insert the applause. Oh yeah, it would have been like a huge applause. I can do that in post. Um, can you get also the Law and Order doink doink? We go That's between segments. Yes, between yes. segments yes. for sure. Perfect. Actually, I just started listening to a podcast that uses that. Segment. Really? <laughs> that is their segment break. So. I, I have I have been guilty of using that oh, on previous podcasts. I, you know, I was very impressed with this one particular podcast I was listening to. It felt like they had a sound effect for every. They'd already planned it out. Like when we jumped to this segment, I got the perfect thing. So. Yeah. Well, I never uh, thought that far ahead, I guess. Um, so this is Coffee and Comics. Uh, you've listened to a couple episodes. You know how we do this, but you have not uh, heretofore participated. Um, this is the part where we talk about the coffee we got. Uh, we've also never done this before. You and I went and got coffee uh, together um, at a place called Vacancy on Pacific Coast Highway. What are you yeah. drinking this morning? Uh, I am drinking an oat milk latte. <laughs> I did not intend when I woke up to get an oat milk latte, but uh, that is what I got. Um, <laughs> I asked for an almond milk latte. The young lady, the very Pitch nice young you. lady, yeah. was like, hey, have you tried oat milk? All the all the cool kids are doing it. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I want to be a cool kid. And uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a little, uh, how do I describe it? I mean, I, so I can't. I can't really judge the coffee. I can only really judge the oat milk experience. <laughs> um, it's. It's. I guess if you think about oats being something that dehydrates, right? Like you use oatmeal. Okay. Okay. As like a, you know, you can use oatmeal for all sorts of things. Like you use it for skincare. You can use. It, sure. I didn't know if you knew this, but you Stanching can. Stanching a wound. Right. I guess you know, like use it as mortar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pasty, I guess that's, but not but not in a bad way. But it's definitely a different experience where almond milk is creamier, the oat milk is kind of pasty, but it's good. It's good. It's just a you know, it's a different, different thing. Yeah, the co- I mean, the coffee itself is good, but I mean, uh, but you th- you thought you also thought it was a little milky, right? Like more milk or something like um, that than you would normally put in a latte. I don't know. Well, I don't know. You're so. What are you drinking? I'm drinking um, a uh, iced vanilla latte. Um, but I've had their, their latte several times. I think it's very tasty, but people who listen to the show know that I'm a coffee Philistine. Um, you know, I can tell that lattes from non-Starbucks are better than Starbucks lattes, but, uh, other than that, my, you know, I can't, I I got a, a flawed judgment. But I know this is their, uh, they use Toby's Estates coffee. We don't always talk about this, but I just happen to know that that's what it, they use. And uh, we're probably drinking the Bedford Roast because I've talked to them before about what they use for their espresso. So so there you go. <laughs> if you want to look it up. Um, where's where's Toby's from? Do I they, believe do it's they, uh, Australia. Do... Okay. And so it's an Australian originally. That coffee shop is Australian. Um, there's a weird group of Australian coffee shops around here. If you didn't know that, hmm. uh, I mean, I could Common see, Room Roasters is also Australian. I could see the Australian Southern Californian connection. Yeah, the surfing. I mean, they're like, yeah. oh man. I mean, they're literally like on Pacific Coast Highway, right across from the beach. So probably a great place to grab a cup of coffee before your surfing session. Although I don't know if that's or before your podcasting session. Yeah, 
exactly. You know, uh, great segue. Um, so then, <laughs> so then after we talk about the coffee, we talk about comics. Um, and uh, I'm going to ask PJ to talk about the comic that he has chosen for us today. First, go ahead, PJ. What is that book? I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm reading. Why oh, would no. you ask me such a question? No. Um, <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's the unbeatable Squirrel Girl be- oh, beats up the Marvel Universe. Sweet. Or is it beats the Marvel Universe? I always forget. <laughs> no, it's be- it's beats up because that's what she does. She beats yeah, up. Yeah, she beats up. Right. Um, <laughs> and so it, it came out, uh, I think, about... It's 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 like two years old now. Yeah. Uh, but it's brand new to me. Is this a collected edition of... Um, it's so I don't know if it was released as a series originally or the impression I get from the uh, description from the author is that it was a, just a graphic novel straight up. Um, oh, yeah. OK. So it's like 119 pages or something like that. Um, it's written by Ryan North of Dinosaur Comics fame. OK. So, um, if you know, if people are familiar with Dinosaur Comics, it's basically like it's a very cleverly written comic that just uses clip art. Um, if you've never seen it and, uh, I mean, it stars a clip art T-Rex and, you know, there's other clip art dinosaurs in it, but it's, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very clever, it's a very cleverly done, um, online comic. Um, uh, although I think it is in syndication, um, in print also. And, uh, yeah, so I've never, I, I don't know if this is the first time that he's written like a mainstream Marvel comic, um, it's uh, drawn by Erica Henderson, uh, whose work I wasn't familiar with, but um, you know, it's 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 a little cartoony, but it perfectly fits the style uh, of what you know. I guess a Squirrel Girl book. <laughs> um, I have I I am completely unfamiliar with the whole Squirrel Squirrel, squirrel Girl universe uh, um, as a character. I just know what I know from Twitter and Tumblr, right? Um, and I know that she's very popular and also that she is not that not that I want to get into, you know, like kind of murky waters on this podcast. But, you know, she is representative to a certain segment of comic book fans as everything that's wrong with like mainstream superhero comics in the world. And she's sort of a, a parody of that or something. Right. Well, or, I mean... the, the thing is, it's it. You know, there's this whole there's this whole movement you know called diversity in comics which is really uh uh, actually anti-diversity in comics right yeah it's yeah so it's it's the comics gate people (laughs) and um you know their whole thing is that you know diversity is ruining comics and the end result is books like squirrel girl which is like very much targeted to a you know a broader audience, probably younger, probably more female, and they just don't like that in their boys' club. But it's I I don't know about her as a character overall. This book is entertaining as hell. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how it could not be, but you know, the great thing is I don't I didn't need to know anything about what's happening in the Marvel universe to get it. I don't because I'm not current on like you know those those books right now. Um, but it has it has enough there that I kind of okay I get it right like I don't it doesn't even matter to me who's Spider Man right now or what armor <laughs> Iron Man's in like like because it, it's I mean it yeah so that's 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 what I'm kind of that's that's my book so is the um like because it's about uh, Squirrel Girl beating up uh, the Marvel universe is that you know are they playing into that anti diversity diversity movement like are they sort of 
going like, yeah, you, that's what you think of this, so we're going to throw it back at you and beat up your heroes. So bear in mind that this came out um, about two years ago, which okay. was, I think, before Comicsgate really picked up steam. I didn't actually know that was a thing. Um, oh, God, it is. I mean, I knew there was like an ongoing yeah. problem, yeah. but I didn't. It's, I mean, it's one of those things that just like other things kind of came up in the last couple of years. But the... Uh, what what Ryan North does is he actually has a running commentary at the bottom of oh, every page. Okay, nice. So there is this internal monologue of his that goes along with the story and actually um, does add that sort of almost like almost like a Twitter style commentary. It's it, which is like. And it's not it's not distracting at all actually it's because you can if you're re- so I've been reading it digitally so I, yes. I, I I got on Comixology and um you know you view that you read comics with that guided view so you're yeah. seeing panel by panel whereas like in the full page there's just this commentary at the bottom so I'm kind of not I'm not seeing the commentary until after like when you're supposed to see it after the last panel on the page. Uh, right right so it actually works out pretty well because it. It, it it punctuates it even a little bit more. Yeah, that's that's great. It was one of the things that Taylor and I talk about. You know, is that difference between digital and and uh, analog reading of a comic, and and how much you're going to notice on the page. And so this is a cool example of like you're actually not going to see that commentary till you get to the bottom. It reminds me of uh, when web comics do the like alt tag, mm-hmm. yeah. so you kind of get to take in the web comic and then mouse over it to see what the hidden it's very messages. Like yeah, that's. Um, so, I mean, given what you've just said, you don't know if, if Squirrel Girl is canon or if any of this is. <laughs> I don't actually know how she fits into it either. Well, I mean, I don't, and I don't really know how, like, canon is defined anymore these days, to be perfectly okay. honest. Good point. Um, I mean, the events in the book, you know, I mean, it, I, everything kind of undoes itself by the end, of course, so it doesn't, you know, there's no right. great impact. Um you know, but I mean, she literally throughout the book like takes down every single villain nice. and superhero in the Marvel universe. And you know, I I don't I don't know how much you you know get into the the plot of things, but I figure maybe uh, we should, maybe we should talk about your book first. Oh oh, <laughs> and then we can maybe go back uh, unless you want. We get as much or as little into the plot as you want. Right. Uh, you know that wouldn't spoil it. Um, I guess. Uh, I, you know, I've read uh, only a couple of, like, single issues with Squirrel Girl in it. Like, um, I want to say that she's part of the Great Lakes Avengers. I don't know that that's an ongoing series, but yes, I picked up a few issues of that. And, um, you know, on the wackier end of superheroes thing, but I always got that feeling they weren't, you know, they weren't, like, officially in the universe or something. There was... Uh, they were kind of invented to poke fun at their own universe. Yeah. And, and this, this really excels at doing that. Um, I mean, even she, so, okay. A a good example is she takes down the Avengers, right? And she can take down the Avengers because, and I guess to, I guess to, I guess this is going to give the plot away. (laughs) Oh, the plot. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) So it's not squirrel girl. Who's beating up the Marvel universe. It's her evil clone basically. (gasps) Okay. Tony Stark has <laughs> Tony Stark has acquired this device that he doesn't know what it does, 
and if anyone doesn't know, Squirrel Girl is a computer science student. Mm -hmm. So, and all of her friends are also computer science students, and um, they all have these also kind of dumb animal powers. So, like one talks that to, I didn't know. One talks to fish. <laughs> one talks to chipmunks. Right? Like I don't know. It's it's a whole it's a whole thing. But I mean, it's it's cute. Um, but because she is an Avenger, yeah, she knows all the Avengers' powers and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Um, so she takes them out in very obvious ways that, again, it's very meta because when you think about your typical, I don't know if you ever have this experience. Like I have this experience, like watching like the Flash all the time, right? Um, I'm like, this this hero or villain should have been taken out much easier than they did. And I understand you have to drag things up for, the, right. for, for story purposes. But, like, in theory, the Flash should be, like, almost unbeatable because he moves faster than sight. Yep. So there should never be a time that he gets knocked out or a time that, like, he reacts slowly to anything. But they always find ways to do it, right? But she basically takes out the Avengers by, like, exploiting all the things, all the obvious things, you right. know? Like, you know, she she powers down Perfect. Iron Man's suit. She uh, distracts the Hulk with uh, a cute chipmunk, and which makes him turn back to Bruce Banner. Like, it's just all this, this yeah. kind of, like, okay. And if you do this all at once, you can take everyone out, you know? Um, so... Yeah, I forgot what that what led to that. Um, no, but that's uh, that that's one of those things too that I, I like about those uh, you know sort of fourth wall breaking comics where they um, where they point out the glaring obvious weakness that yeah. you know we've all wondered about with them um, for the you know the Avengers for example. I don't know if you want to take down the Avengers. I all you need to do is take away their tax subsidies because <laughs> they are just a private military operation <laughs> that that Shield is uh, you know uh, letting get away with it. So anyway, that's my that's my or sponsoring. Quite, yeah, sponsoring. Depen depending yeah. on the depending on the canon. Yeah, they are a Quango. That's uh, <laughs> that's my rant. That's what started the show. Actually, was uh, Taylor inviting Taylor me to Swift. do it. Yes, yes, my good friend invited me to do a podcast rant about the Avengers. Um, yeah, I so uh, you said this is two years old. It's collected in a graphic novel. It's called Squirrel Girl, Squirrel Girl Beats Up the World. The Marvel Universe. The Marvel Universe. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, anything else that you, you want to mention on that before we move on to another book? Um, I, I mean, I guess, I guess, I. It feels very much like something that um, someone who doesn't care about like all of the other superhero stuff, but just wants something fun to read. Yeah, is it's like, and maybe that, and I think com being written by someone who comes from outside that world. I mean, he's a comics writer, but you know, he does his own thing. Um, and honestly, there's <laughs> the one thing that he does really well is, and, and if you've ever read Dinosaur Comics, you understand because Ryan North is a really <laughs> smart guy. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like uh, what's what's the guy that does XKCD? Um, oh my gosh, I cannot remember uh, that guy's name. Um, we I want to say I want to say Travis that, Bickle. Sure, yeah, <laughs> Travis Bickle. No, uh, I not, yes. not him at all. Um, <laughs> that was, can, can we edit that? No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll, so, we'll look it up. And anyway, just, <laughs> have Ryan a voiceover. North really leans into the computer science stuff, and he actually like includes. Like, because all these kids are really smart that are, you know, the, the, the core cast, uh, her and her friends. And, you know, he, he really leans into that. And the other thing is, you know, Squirrel Girl is 
a female like yeah she's she, it's a funny animal themed character but she is a young woman who is smart who is not like a like supermodel um and they make points of that like she talks about her thick thighs and like there's but like not in a negative way right it's like like there's a scene where i think she was talking about like either her strength of like jumping or like kicking someone or whatever and she's like you know you know thick thighs to the rescue or whatever and like i i think there's a lot of empowering things in here for the right audience and then it's just fun for everyone else yeah. So yeah, I, that's a perfect Two coffee and comics up. pick because uh, <laughs> we, um, you know, when I asked you to to do the show, you uh, you said, well, I don't know what's going on in comics these days, and Taylor and I have only a vague, you know, knowledge of that. So that's what we are always looking for is like, what can we find that's, you know, we it kind of like it's a it, plus it's like a capsule adventure, like you know, it's all in this one book. Yeah. You don't need to feel like. Oh, but then you've got to get the next six volumes or something. Oh it's god, like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the worst thing. I've been, I have been trying to read like all new X Men, the one with the yeah. like younger team who gets brought to the uh, the, pe- the present from the past. But there's so many dang crossovers in the collections I've been oh, reading that like gosh. I stopped because yeah. I'm like, oh, I have to get Guardians of the Galaxy and I have to get this book, and I'm like, I I just want to read a story. Yeah, even the image titles that I really love are are so on, you know, they're just ongoing. And if I'm behind, like East of West, uh, it's very daunting to think, okay, well, there's 11 volumes I've got to collect to catch up just to get up to speed, you know. Um, Awesome. I feel like I'm going to play a little bit of gotcha with you right now Uh because uh, I did not tell you what I've picked um and you will <laughs> immediately like i'm I, like you're gonna have to talk more while okay. i talk about this because okay. uh yeah so i decided to uh oh. to um talk about san hannibal um this week which is a book that you published and edited uh yes and i i so you can tell me um i don't know how many years ago it was but at some comic book convention, I bought like a sampler of books from you. Like it was a bunch of single issues. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were just selling like, hey, grab five single issues for five bucks or whatever you were doing. Maybe you just gave them to me. I don't know. <laughs> but there was a single issue of San Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And uh, this has a <laughs> striking color scheme. Like it is just neon um, CMYK kind of like the first issue is all neon pink. Um and that may be the one that I that I got originally, Probably, and yeah. and it was like, yeah, it's just arresting, you know. And I really liked the 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 kind of line art that's underneath that pink was was very cool. It was not um, superhero-y. It wasn't like big and blocky or something. It was there's some faces that kind of remind me almost of like almost like the Simpsons or something like, uh, you know, maybe not the actual main Simpsons characters, but when they will do a TV drama or impersonation, like they're, um, but yeah, that, that seems a way off reference. Sorry about that, (laughs) but it's a detective story. Uh, and, uh, I, well, I I don't know. I don't even know where to start with this. So this is the collected edition. Yes. Is this the only volume of it? That, that, that is it. So, It's so called I'm the curious. City of Love and Fear. Yes. So the yeah. So San Hannibal, the City of Love and Fear, is the uh, trade paperback collection of the five issue series that came out over 2014, 2015, I think, or 2013, 2014, whatever. It was. That's it, when the that's single when the series came yeah, out. That's when the series came out, and then I think the 
paperback was in like uh, mid 2014 or so. yeah yeah that sounds right because we were at comic-con in 2014 with the book um and you, i don't actually know when i bought this book uh had, I th- actually i think i only got it like two years ago when i saw you before you moved out here at maybe at long beach um yeah. because uh i remember talking about it on the show as in like when Taylor and I would do our roundup, I said, I'm just going to list all the comics I got on my TBR pile. So you'll keep me accountable. And this was one of them. Um, so it's been sort of like bubbling up, you know? And uh, yeah, when you agreed to do that, do this show this week, I thought this is a perfect thing. I can just quiz you about this. Um, it is a, it's a detective story that appeals to a whole bunch of things that Taylor and I talk about, like in other episodes, like, um, there's a secret society of very wealthy individuals at the head of this is a, a politician. Um, I initially thought that this, like this politician's rise was, I, I, that's why I asked if this was a single volume. Cause I thought, Oh, this is, there's more backstory here of what this guy's doing. But I was really well, relieved that like, you know, he was just a character in that secret society. Is. Now that said, yeah. So the, the creator, uh, Dan Scotty, um, who just started uh, a new comic on Webtoon, on the Webtoon app. Um, I forget what it's called. Sorry, Dan. Um, it He did have a sequel planned. Oh, okay. And I think he still does have a sequel planned. And I think that it's hinted at. I think there's, yep. a, there's a poster <laughs> for it in the back of the paperback collection. Um, and... It, we never talked about it. <laughs> he kind of just, he sent me the art and I was like, sure. Why not? Um, yeah. So, so you mentioned it's a detective story and it's told in these, these really striking colors. So the colors, uh, the first issue was, was done by Dan and, um, JD faith, um, also known as Joshua faith, um, who they, they pitched it to me. They were young, really young. I mean, <laughs> they're, I mean, they're still young-ish, but I think at the time they were maybe 19 or something oh, wow. like that. And they pitched it to me at, I don't remember what Comic-Con it was. I don't know if it was, it, it was probably Emerald City. And this was way back in like, I, I'd have to say maybe 2012 um, or something like that. And it was called Avery at the time, which is the name, which is the last name of the detective. And they, uh, they had like a, a like a ten page sampler that was actually full color. It was fully it was Whoa. done in regular full color. Okay, um, not not this not this yeah. not this not this hyper magenta. Yeah. Um, and it kind of sat in my files for a couple of years. Um, I always really liked it, but it didn't really have any place for it at the time. And when we were kind of ramping up the publishing uh, schedule around 2013, I was looking for new projects, and I was like, I wonder if they ever published this. And I looked, and no, I mean, they posted the first 10 pages online and got a little bit of press for it, and then nothing. So We should also mention your publishing uh, imprint name, which is... Oh, Pop Goes the Icon. Yes. I was afraid to say it, because I didn't want to pop my piece. Pop the microphone, But I'm pretty good at controlling my popping. (laughs) And locking. Um, you guys didn't see it. I busted some sweet moves. Yeah. You, I, we'll put that in. There'll be like a little yeah. break and clip that yeah. I drop in there on the audio. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Please make sure you do. Um, yeah. So 
JD wasn't available to do the full series at that point. Um, he uh, moved on to other projects, although he still he did a couple of covers for the the um, the print series. And uh, Dan ended up drawing the whole thing. Yeah, that's the- one of the. I'm glad you're telling this whole story because that. Uh- I think that's one of the most intriguing things about it is that the artist couldn't do the series after the first issue, um, but also did the new colorist. Is that Jesse? Yeah. And did she come in? Is that a she? Yes. yes. So did she come in uh, for issues two through five? Yes. Okay. So so the first one was JD and Dan. What, um, yeah. Although, and I, I apologize to Jesse for this. I'm not sure if she recolored the first issue. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Or if or if I think that the, I think the the pink in the first issue was done by JD and then she did all so she did all the coloring and the lettering oh wow um, yeah yeah so I, uh, and also to be perfectly honest she was also the project manager basically yeah your intro note about the story it's it's very brief but it hits all those points <laughs> and it was a, like a great setup to read the book because often there's uh when you get one of these collected trades from the big two, there's some long winded like introduction from some third party that really admires the artist. And I just want the how to like, how'd you get this thing built? Right. And you, yeah, you hit all those. Points. So I think, I mean that to me, it's, it's amazing. Not only how much Dan's art, like uh, fits the flow of the story. Once you hit issue two, but also that you, like you say in the note, like you literally see him growing as an artist through every issue there's nothing that feels offbeat. Like it never feels like a, you know, beginner's work or something. I mean, it just, but you definitely see, I think how he's getting into the story and the characters and, and um, yeah, I I originally, you know, I do this every time where I, when I uh, read a book and I go, Ooh, that's a good thing. I should talk about that. I should write that down to remind me what it is, but I know there were several, uh, I never write these things down and then I forget what they are when I'm talking about them. There were several panels where I was just like really impressed, especially thinking like, you know, this is the guy that took over the art and wrote the story and uh, the framing of the shot would just be so cool. And um, yeah, I was super impressed with it. And also the way Jesse uses those colors to kind of bring, bring back details. Like there's a flashback to the, we'll call it like sort of the cyan issue later on. And so that panel is colored in that cyan just so to remind you like this is a flashback and you don't have to do anything else besides that. You right. get it. Like it, it's like a user interface. Like these colors tell you what's going on. There's, so the interesting thing is that I think that the, the all pink stuff in the first chapter was just a stylistic choice. Right. What Jesse did, which was really brilliant, um, was turning the colors into characters. Yeah. So, for, so obviously, we're so for for the people who haven't read it yet, and I highly recommend you do. Not just because I published it, but because it really isn't. I mean, it's an awesome book. I've never yeah. seen anything like it. Um, the first issue is primarily magenta. So there's the, there's there's four colors used in printing, right? There's magenta, yellow, cyan, and black, right? And the first issue is primarily magenta. The second one's primarily cyan. I think the third one's yellow. And then the fourth one's black, which is really mostly gray tones. And then the fifth issue brings them all together. But each issue, the colors start to bleed together um, so that you get a little bit more of the spectrum. But the colors also mean something. So yeah. there is, there is like you said, there there's this... It tells the story in itself. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk in the comic creator community 
um, and publishing community about giving credit where credit's due, right? Because traditionally you've primarily, when you talk about who creates a book, you talk about, as I did with Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, and uh, I apologize to the colorist and letterer for not, <laughs> not talk, but I, I literally just, I had the, and this is part of the problem, Comixology, the app, when I look at it, it says writer and artist yeah. um, and cover artist, and it doesn't, I mean, you have to dig in to get more of the credits, but um, you know, part of the reason why I put her front and center on there, it says by Dan Scotty and Jesse Snaplin. Yeah. Like, because she's equal part of the storytelling. The lettering is just as important. But I mean, that coloring, you know, if, if you look at modern comic books and you look at the line art versus the color art, the color art is like paintings. They're digital mm-hmm. paintings. The work that these colorists are doing is amazing. Um, but, you know, this book, it's not it's not painterly. And the and the line art style is almost almost cartoony, as you said. It's like got this weird sort of like Dark Simpsons feel, right? Yeah. But the coloring, the the choices made, is what's so important about that, right? It's like you and if you go back and reread it, and I don't know if you if you've read it recently or if you were just speaking from your memory of last time you read it, but like. You can go back, and it's almost kind of like watching a movie like Memento, where you do need to go back to see those things you missed. You'll see that each read, you'll be like, oh, now that I've read the whole thing, I understand, like you said, where these little color pops mm-hmm. actually tie back to, you know, either a character or a previous issue or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, yeah, I have only read it uh, in full recently. And, uh, you know, along with everything you said, I think. I, this there's a there's a theme of several books that Taylor and I talk about from time to time, like uh, East of West, which I mentioned. There's a graphic design sense here, mm-hmm. which is where that that coloring and that line art goes together so well. It's I mean, it's a book that's been designed, yeah. that, and <laughs> I I don't know. That's just a that's just a great thing to see. And I know there's wonderful work being done in the big two, but I also know you know, a little bit in inside baseball is that sometimes the person credited as the colorist just sort of made the template for the book. And then they sort of have production artists that actually go color the rest of the, the panels based on that. Like at least that's my understanding There's, of how Marvel does, does some well, books. Well, I mean, know? that's all, yeah, that's a whole nother thing. I mean, because also when you talk about the colorists, a lot of times colorists, they use flatters, mm-hmm. which flatters don't get enough credit either because they're really the ones that design the color palette. Oh, wow. Okay. And then the colorists will often just not just do not that this is minor, but they'll no. do they'll do the the rendering, the toning, yeah. you know, the shadows and the highlights and, you know, all the effects. Um, but I mean, and I've you know, I've worked with usually when for my own stuff, I'm doing the line art and the coloring right. and the rendering and the lettering and everything else. But when I've worked, I have worked with flatters, and I mean, I feel bad almost taking credit for doing the coloring because all I'm really doing is adding shades and highlights. They're the ones that, you know, I mean, obviously characters have established, you know, their outfits have colors, and their right. skin have established colors, but they establish the tone by, you you know, setting the color palette and everything. Yeah, this... Um this appeals to just to my minimalism uh, instincts and all that. Like it just, I don't know it, you know, it feels like when I'm reading it and seeing that it is just these big main elements of like, you know, writing line art and colors. It, uh, it, it's like watching like a three piece band or something and going like, that's all you need, you know, like that works. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit about the story because it's, uh, it also almost to me, like I mentioned, there's a secret society. There's, um, 
There's definitely an abuse of people. There's a human trafficking element. Uh, and there's this detective that gets caught up in all of this. Uh, and Dan talks about it a little bit in the sort of bonus features you've got at the end on how he plotted it and, and realized that like a uh, sort of a usual outline wouldn't help to, you know, uh, he couldn't see the flow of the book in a usual outline. So he, he ended up, you know, taking a couple of like idiosyncratic steps to sort of pl- plot out how this last issue is going to work. Um, it doesn't feel like there's a, there's a real problem in detective books where everything is wrapped up too neatly at the end, especially in comic books. Cause you, you know, it's, it's a trade-off. You spend all this time sort of developing the characters and the plot and really hooking people. Um, you've got to do it in a different way than a novel. You've got to do it with pictures and, and an economy of shots and things like that. Then how do you wrap it all up, you know, in 40 pages or something, <laughs> you know, like, or, or less like, right. you know, it's a 24 page book or something. Um, and I, I thought this one did like, it was a detective who, you know, of course, he is put on the case of a missing person early on, um, and uh, there there's some sort of other powers that are working against this kind of, uh, you know, evil rich people group. And so those powers are giving him clues along the way, like those other those other sort of antagonists. Um, so he finds himself, you know, wrapped up in this, this whole scheme. Um and it's much more complicated than he thought. Uh, those were all like, it was like a very almost true detective kind of thing to me to find those like kind of occult elements. And um, there's a bunch, there's like a wild trippy scene where he's been drugged and all the colors come in. And um, this character that you've, that's only been hinted at appears. And I think the hint was really just the cover of that issue. Uh, I can't remember the artist who did that. There's that other artist who did like issue three um, uh, or three or four. Oh, it was, um, it was, uh, Ibrahim Mustafa. Yes. And his cover, like you see this and there's this character in this rabbit mask and it's very striking. And then this trippy scene happens later. And anyway, it's, I, I just really enjoyed it. And especially having that experience of like getting the first issue from you a couple of years ago and not really knowing where it was, just knowing like this is striking, but I don't, I just, you know, honestly, like from that one issue, I just couldn't really get into it. Right. But um, I, the collected work makes me appreciate it so much more. And I'm like you, I, I would recommend this to anyone who likes detective novels, sort of secret societies. And uh, yeah, it was just thoroughly enjoyable to me. And I like that it's wrapped up. I almost, you know, I mean, if he does a second volume, that'd be great. But if, if not, like, you know, this works like I'm, there's no loose ends hanging right, for me. Right. There was just enough character background uh, for, for all the characters that I felt like good were, you know, um, it, it does, it does tie up nicely. Um, and not, I feel like it does it without being kind of trite or, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, I kind of feel like you don't see everything coming because that does happen a lot with I think detective stories and mysteries is that you just but this one's so crazy and you right. talk you talk about that 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 drug scene um, <laughs> where it, uh, Avery's been you know captured uh, he's in like the stronghold of the uh, the cult um, and they drug him and I'll tell you when I got those pages from Jesse like with the coloring <laughs> and. You know, it's. I mean, you guys. Uh, I, I, this is not a visual medium. Where we're no, no, no. But, but it, like, it's it's insane. I mean, the way that it's 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 almost like 
some of the the panels are like a like a Jackson Pollock. Like, yeah, it's it's wild. It's, like it's the first time you see all the colors kind of crash and yeah. uh yeah it's it's it's, it's and it's, yeah and she's still not using the colors to uh, you know she's not using the basic cmyk to be all the other colors no. they're still sort of in isolation even if they're yeah. in splashes together on a page you know you're seeing a streak of bright yellow and you know bright cyan and bright magenta and it's it's yeah it's it because it, it's completely psychedelic and then it's built out of this world that almost seemed cold you know, because when you get to the cyan issue, it just feels very cold. Like, right. it's just everything's blue and black. Um, the yellow issue is very, very bright. And then you get to this one trippy scene, and it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 really, I mean, this is like a fantastic work. So, um, that is my <laughs> complete review of San Hannibal. Where can people purchase that? Um, San Hannibal is available at your finer online booksellers or pop goes the icon.com nice um is it like on amazon yep. uh, okay. amazon barnes and noble is it on comicsology as well comicsology i you can you can get you, it anywhere you know or if I'm you curious, just see me on the street yeah if you see pj just throw, uh, me, throw me 15 bucks or are you you are attending san diego comic-con this year but not um i am not, not exhibiting. Running, exhibiting no uh what about long beach uh <laughs> <laughs> Have, haven't made a decision yet or no i have made a decision am i allowed to talk about it yeah sure i mean <laughs> am i allowed to, to say critical things about long beach comic-con um yeah i mean yeah. <laughs> no i we don't have any sponsors on this I, yet <laughs> i no this is the thing like i i love that long beach is like a local show and um it's convenient and i've i've exhibited there three or four times the last couple times um to be honest we're awful not it's not the show's fault um i just feel like people going to that show are the going to get celebrity autographs there's a, I, and and yeah. i know this is i mean this is a this is a common thing at a lot of comic conventions around the country but the difference is that like i feel like there's no emphasis put on creators the creators there. um i mean i was in an eye in an aisle in artist alley with some significant other creators like i'm i'm a i'm a little guy right um, but I was I was next to and I forget his name, but you know he he drew like Green Lantern for a while, and then like I think Ron Mars was down the aisle for me, and like like some pretty decent creators, and like there was no one down our coming, and we were on an end aisle like facing out, yeah, and just there was no one coming to Artist Alley with any interest in anything, and it was it was really slow there, and it's not that the show was slow overall, but. Yeah, I experienced that two years in a row, and I was like, you know what, I'm not going back. I, yeah, well, I know the because I didn't go last year, and I know I saw you there the year before, and uh, the my friend, you know, my good friend Chris Martin, that um, went with me. We uh, <laughs> we were only there for like a cut, you know, me and Taylor Swift and right, right. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres and Chris Martin. Uh, we were only there for like. I don't know, a few hours and, and we had weekend passes and, and there was this whole thought of like, where well, are we coming back tomorrow? No, we got it all done. Yeah. You know, we, and we only did artist alley um, or at least the exhibitor floor, right, but right. it's, you know, it's an architectural thing too. It's just, we could do a whole, we can and should do a whole episode on that and get some other friends that uh, do you like know, a, are also exhibitors and artists and a comic con round table. Yeah, for sure. Because I, um, uh, you know, I, I I just always wonder those things. And after I met you at uh, Emerald City, I think that was the year that my eyes were really opened when I'd read someone's blog post 
who had also been there, I can't remember who it was, um, who like literally broke down what his table cost mm-hmm. and how much he netted for weekend of like Emerald City, San Diego, Long Beach, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Vegas, what, and, and that stuff is so helpful to, to just know and also to help the convention like plan a better convention, you know, yeah. like put these put these artists in with the the big names and direct the flow to them. So I don't know. Uh, you could rant about that, I'm sure, much more than I can. So uh... <laughs> we we'll, we'll save that. We'll do... Yeah. Is there anything? I say else? we. Well, I'm going to take over your podcast here. Yeah. We'll no, do a future I, episode where we do, do a roundtable. That, that just that takes homework off my plate. Right. If you want to talk about idea. something, so, there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. So the pop goes the icon dot com. Is there anything else you would like to plug? Because I have uh, <laughs> a feeling there is. <laughs> I don't want to plug anything. I didn't come here to plug stuff. No, I mean, I came plug here away. To drink coffee and to check out your beautiful studio here. Um, <laughs> I mean that. Um, there's a nice plant in the corner. It's still sort alive. Of alive. It's mostly alive. It's, it's it, it is more green than brown. It is more. That is also because I pulled all the brown out of it this week. <laughs> that's 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 being a good plant, Daddy. Okay. Um, there's an axe cop poster on the wall. <laughs> That's what that's from. So Axe Cop, God, I have so many thoughts on Axe Cop. I was I was at um, uh, which show was it? I don't know. Some convention, one of them that happens in the world, and I was on the aisle directly behind the Axe Cop people. The yes, the older and younger. Oh, brother, the younger one was right? there as well. Uh, he was. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was just like. God, I wish I would have thought of that first. I mean, not that I have, I don't have an extremely, I don't have like a really, a younger brother, but I don't know if you, if, if you know, I mean, maybe you've seen this. Like, I, so I post, I post the comics I made when I was a kid yeah. on Tumblr. Yes. And I've been doing it now. This is insane. This is like, I guess the longest project I've ever worked on in my life. Um, I've been posting since 2011. Okay. Seven years now I've been posting these. That's, I don't regularly watch your Tumblr. I only see no. it when you cross post right. to Twitter or something. Uh, and that's 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 how many I don't think anyone sees them. Like they seem to post them on Facebook. But um first that says how many friggin' comics I drew as a kid. I literally yeah. I, mean, I mean literally thousands. Thousands mm-hmm. and thousands. Um and I've been posting it like a page a day for seven years. It's it's not it's that's nuts. insane. Um but I was like, God, like the 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 dumb ideas that a six year old has that you turn into a comic. Yeah. Which I didn't really find that entertaining. The one axe cop I read, but whatever, it was fine. Like, oh, it, man. it's a clever gimmick, but I was like, "How did like?" It's just it was one of those things where someone had to just think of just think yeah. of it. You know, it's it's like the person who came up with the like you know the 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 stuff my dad says Twitter. You're right. That turned into a TV show somehow with William Shatner, right? <laughs> God, you're like, right. That happened. That was a thing that happened, but it was just someone had the idea to like, I'm gonna yeah. put my dad's dumb things that he says on Twitter and I I guess that just says that just shows how good ideas are sometimes better than just good execution you know yeah I I I would defend the execution of Axe Cop forever or you're seeing yeah like in isolation yeah you can have your adult idea and execute it perfectly and it's like oh if I just had that hook of like the the dumb idea right. would have, yeah, yeah, I, that was for that sure. Was, yeah, that was not yeah, not a not a crack at their uh, yeah, like right. quality's yeah. unreal. Yeah. Um. Okay. So you've 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 deflected again, but what you have a book coming out that oh, people should pre-order. I was not deflecting. Um. <laughs> so um the the new collection of my webcomic, the Utopian, 
is uh, coming out in print on July 17th. Um, it is Volume 2, Foundation. Um, the first volume came out in 2010, so that's another long-term project. Um, it's it's basically a it's a soap opera essentially about <laughs> a bunch of teenagers who were affected by um, the events that happened at their high school surrounding this like teenage vigilante who went by the Utopian um, whose exploits were uh, shown in the first volume. So um, it really. Oh, so you're only describing Foundation as yes. the soap opera of yes. the events afterwards. Yeah. Um, the original Utopian series was really more of almost like a kind of teen fantasy adventure, mm-hmm. right? And it very much was specifically from just the point of view of the lead character, James, who was, you know, this frustrated high school senior who thought that the world needed a change and he was the one who was going to change it. And, you know, because he saw, like, you know, just injustice everywhere. Um, and then as the story progresses, things get really weird, and he actually literally sees, like, evil everywhere, and it's it, it, it veers off. So one of the things about that story is it's not clear what was in James's head and what actually happened. The only thing that is clear is that James is dead. Mm. And I know that seems like it's giving away the plot of the first volume, but A, it came out eight years ago (laughs) (laughs) i mean it'll be like going hey guys darth vader's luke's dad um spoilers for but b um, because what happened in the book originally is questionable it leaves the universe open so um yeah it basically it literally like just keeps cutting between all of these different characters and following their lives in the aftermath and which really has their lives i mean what happens has nothing to do with what he did um and it's you know it's 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 really just it's it is kind of soap operatic right it's you know there's there's people who are starting college and they're struggling with that and finding their new identities and there's you know and there's still people in the high school where james went to who you know now they're a year further ahead and you know one girl her brother had died and she's dealing with you know the trauma from that and another guy he was a a a former gang member who's trying to, to like turn his life around but he's you know still kind of one foot in the door and uh you know another kid who is in a wheelchair due to events that we don't get into in the book because again i'm kind of leaving some things open for the future and open for interpretation but it uh you know it's him kind of dealing with you know this new reality and um yeah so it's you know there's no it's really hard to describe like plot whenever i talk about it because it really is just a story about these people's lives but there is a central overarching story arc um, that ties them all together and brings them all together at the end. Is there a, like, a, do you see an end in sight for the story or is it something you could just keep going with? Well, until so the foundation arc is, is complete, right? Gotcha. Like that, There's that, an arc for the collected yes, editions. Yeah. And that's, that's the way I think. Like I'm not, I have to have, like when I did the original Utopian, even though it ran for 18 months and like it was, you know, 109 pages, uh, I knew that there was an end. Right. And I, I, you know, I didn't know how I was going to get there necessarily, but I knew there was an end. And I, if I don't have an end to projects, I, I how people do ongoing (laughs) series, I have no idea. Like, I just, like, if someone was like, hey, do you want to write Spider-Man? I'd be like, no. Yeah. I mean, yes, I would like your money. Yeah. I got, I got six issues or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I just, I, I guess I wouldn't know what to do with it. Um, but I actually do have, 
uh, another. I do have a, a Google Doc that is titled Utopian Volume, Volume 3. Oh, wow. So there is a very specific set of stories that spill out of that actually, well, don't really have anything to do with what happened to Volume 2, but that continue down this, this path. And uh, I just have to. I have to get there. It might be another six or seven years, but <laughs> no, that's cool to think about. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug that's upcoming appearances or, um, all right, well give us the, this is my, this is my, this is your appearance. appearance. Yeah. yeah. Just hey, check guys, this off. Yeah. Guys, make sure you listen to this episode of coffee and comics <laughs> and it is coffee and comics, not comics and coffee. Right? It is coffee and comics. Okay. Now that you have me second guessing that what's your uh, Twitter handle and Instagram. I'm if you want people to PJ Perez. Um, and, uh, do you have a public Instagram? Uh, I do. It's, but it's, it's just, just, just search for PJ Perez. Okay. That it's, works. It's at sequential madness. Yes. Because I also do a web comic called sequential madness <laughs> and PJ Perez wasn't available on Instagram when I signed up cause I signed up late. That's so frustrating. Yeah. Um, I, as always, you can find, uh, this and all our other episodes at findusthere.org or the brand new coffee and comics club. That's right. Dot club is now a top level domain. <laughs> and we so, are a club. We are a club. Yeah, it is. It, at this point, I feel like it's a club. Like we've had on uh, Mike Marlowe and we've got PJ Perez and I've got another special guest for next week. So please uh, tune in every Wednesday, which is new comic book day. Um, if you go to coffeeandcomics.club, you'll find all the ways to subscribe to this podcast. Thank you, PJ, so much for being here. And uh, yeah, I hope to talk to you again on the podcast soon. Thanks and for having in me. real life, even sooner. Yes. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.